Friends, our scripture comes to us from Ezekiel chapter 37. Hear these words. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. And he said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. And he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I've been commanded, and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise. There was a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived. And they stood on their feet, a vast multitude. And then he said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up, Our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will bring you back to the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you. You shall live, and I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Amen. Thank you, Andrew, for our scripture reading, and thank you, Stella, for singing that beautiful song again. Stella also sang at the 8.30 service, so that song built some meaning for me. I'm especially grateful, too, for the choir and that that wonderful anthem of Shall We Gather at the River. It it actually reminds me, there's a church in Kansas, a great big Methodist church, and they have this giant stained glass window with a river running across it. And the river makes the shape of the Omega sign. And so the river is representative of God's movement throughout time. And this side of the river is the Old Testament. Folks like Adam and Eve, Abraham, King David. And then it swoops up and in the center of the Omega is the story of Jesus. And then on this end of the Omega is the story continued where we are now. And so the apostles are there. Martin Luther's there. Dr. Martin Luther King's Mother Teresa Uh, John Wesley's even there, if you can believe it. It is a Methodist sanctuary, so it makes sense. 
But it's just a wonderful reminder that God has always been in this story of salvation, right? And that song reminds me so much of that. Let us gather at that river. This is our last Sunday in the Old Testament as we're journeying through Lent of God's story of salvation that begins with Adam and Eve and this need to cure us from this hook that we have of sin. And moving into a people called Israel that have grown to be really a kingdom. And Andrew told us last week about the, the, the first kings that were part of this kingdom. The first one was Saul, who looked the part, was very strong, and people really looked up to him, but he ended up not being so great for the Israelites. And the second king was David, very humble, the runt of the litter, the youngest of his brothers. And through his humility, God did great things. And David had a son, the third king of Israel. His name was Solomon. And Solomon was known for a lot of things, but the most important thing Solomon ever did was he made, he oversaw the building of the temple in Jerusalem. Now, the temple's really important to what we're talking about today, and I cannot overemphasize how central the temple was to the Hebrew faith. This is what the Israelites have been looking forward to ever since Abraham, ever since being saved from slavery in Egypt, ever since wandering in the wilderness and finally being delivered in the promised land. All of that was in the hopes of arriving to this promised place where they could finally have a space where God would live among them. And that's what the temple was. And Solomon oversaw the building of this temple. They spared no expense. It was glorious. There were carvings of creation all through it, and expert craftsmen working so many years to complete this temple. And in the middle of it all was a room called the the Holy of Holies. Nobody could enter it. Just one priest, once per year, could enter it. And that is where God resided among God's people. And the people of Israel, this was so important to them that they were commanded to travel there to the temple, to Jerusalem, three times a year, okay? Imagine if every Christmas, Easter, and Pentecost, we had to travel somewhere. Imagine if that place was Atlanta, right? If every Christian had to travel to Atlanta. First of all, maybe they'd finally fix the traffic problem. And second of all, (laughs) just imagine how much, no matter where you were in the world, that would be your spiritual home, that place that you went three times per year. For 300 years... This was taken as fact. You traveled to the temple for these festivals because God had made a covenant to dwell there with God's people, and God had done just what God promised for generations. This was bedrock for the the Hebrew faith. It was assumed that while everything else could change, this would never change. The temple was forever. God would always dwell with God's people here in the temple in the promised land. But we know that the Bible doesn't end there. It's not happily ever after, as the people assumed, things were not perfect. The Israelites didn't always keep their covenant with God. They were human like us, and their sin was still warping their way of living and their way of doing things. Solomon, that great king who had overseen this ever-important project, he was beloved and wise, but he was also very flawed. He was obsessed with accumulating power and concubines. And there's, there's this great moment where he just keeps 
recounting all of the gold of Israel, and he puts it on a scale, and it's never enough. It never reaches up to what he wants. And more kings come after Solomon, and they start to put their trust in other things besides God. These kings of Israel started to make alliances and taking money from the temple and giving it to these other empires and kingdoms around there, around them for protection. Keep us safe, Israel would say, and we will give you money from the temple. They were quite literally putting their faith in armies and weapons and human power instead of God as God had commanded. And then in 587 BCE, the unthinkable happened. Babylon, which was one of these empires that had been vying for power just outside Jerusalem, it swept in and laid waste to the city. A large portion of the Israelites were forced to flee. They were exiled from their homeland, and the Babylonians went even further. They wanted to make sure that even if the people survived, Israel could not build itself back up. And so they executed the king and his descendants, and they exiled all of the religious leaders. But most shocking of all, that temple, that great building so central to who the people of Israel were, shaped by expert craftsmen, by God's command, that place where the Holy of Holies was housed and God was living among them. That temple, all of it, was burned to the ground. For Israel, life as they knew it was dead. Israel, as they knew it, was dead. Their faith, as they knew it, was dead. How could this happen? How could God let this happen? Where was God? This was a dark night of the soul. Maybe you're familiar with that concept, a dark night of the soul. It's a period of grief, of loss, of death, a period where you, what you thought was so secure is suddenly gone, a period of time when the core parts of who you are are thrown into question. Ezekiel was living in this exile. He was a prophet for God, trying to make sense of how God could allow this to happen. And for the prophet Ezekiel, this dark night of the soul is depicted as a valley of death filled with bones. And God directs him to walk through it. Look at these bones, Ezekiel, God says. They are as dry as the sand in the desert. They are bleached white and cracked from years of oppressive heat and sunlight. They are hollow. All of the marrow has been dried out from within them. These bones are deader than dead. If you touched one of them, they would probably crumble into dust. And we're told in the scripture reading that these bones represent the people of Israel with no temple, no Jerusalem, no homeland. Who are they without these things? Scattered, destitute, and in anguish, the life that they knew was deader than dead. And the question is spoken aloud and it hangs in the air. Can these bones live? Well, my wife, Caroline, she works for a nonprofit organization in Atlanta called Blaze Sports America. And what they do is they focus on adaptive sports, which is sports for people with physical disabilities. And the main populations that they work with are youth and veterans, and they have things like wheelchair basketball teams, archery, track and field. And all of these participants come from all of these different, very different walks of life, but 
Something that most of them have in common is their stories have in them a dark night of the soul. There are veterans who received injuries or saw things that they would rather never speak about again. There are children who were born into really difficult situations. Most of them had a time when they walked among bones in a valley of death and wondered, can these bones live? One of these participants is a girl named Sarah. And Sarah was born without a disability. She was in middle school on her swim team. She had friends and was well-liked, a very talented athlete, had a stable household. But then Sarah got a diagnosis of cancer in the bone on her shoulder. Sarah had to start spending less time at school and with her friends and at swim practice and more time getting tested and treated. And her parents were desperately trying to hold everything together. Her time at school, her friendships, her swim schedule, her tests, and doctor's appointments. And then something unthinkable happened. Due to complications in her treatment and the growth of her cancer, the doctors informed Sarah's parents that her arm would have to be amputated. Because the cancer was located in her shoulder, her arm would have to be removed from the shoulder down. She would never be the same again. Things that she knew before, she would have to relearn. She would have to relearn how to write, how to type, how to open a door, how to text her friends. And that thing that she was so good at, and she loved so much, her swimming, it just didn't seem possible anymore. So she left the swim team and tried to make sense of everything going on. In many ways, much of Sarah's identity crumbled that day. And it was a dark night of the soul. Parts of herself were left out to bake in the sun. The marrow dried out of them, cracked, and in a valley of death. And the question hung over it all, can these bones live? Can these bones live? It's funny because if you look at the scripture reading, the person who asks that question is God. God is looking at Ezekiel standing among these bones that are so utterly dead and asks Ezekiel, mortal, human, son of Adam, can these bones live? And it doesn't tell us what Ezekiel's tone is in his response, but you have to imagine that he's bewildered that God is asking him that question. And he responds by saying, what, me? God, only you know the answer to that question. And in response, God commands Ezekiel to prophesy, to speak God's word over these bones, and he does. And once he does, the earth shakes and the bones start to move. The bones join up end to end, and tendons begin to form between them. And then muscles, and then organs and skin grows around them. (laughs) Out of something deader than dead, God is bringing life. But it's not done yet. God says, prophesy again. And my breath, my ruach, my spirit will enter into them. And then they will truly be alive. And Ezekiel does as God commands. The winds blow and God's breath enters into them. And the bones are no longer bones, but a huge company of people, fully resurrected and made new. And God says to Ezekiel, just like I did with these bones, I will do with Israel. They say that they are deader than dead. 
and I will open their graves. These bones will live. Today may be a dark night of the soul, but the sun is rising, and when it does, Israel will know once again that I am their God. We have this habit as human beings of trying to make sense of things by putting them into a category, into a box. We create terms to try to define God, to try to understand God, to try to categorize and predict what God will do, what God should do, how God should do it. We want God to be predictable and safe and working on our terms. But the truth is, we usually can't see how God will work. When we are in that valley, we certainly can't see it. God's ruach, God's breath, God's spirit of new life and resurrection moves in ways that we could never expect. It brought Adam and Eve to life out of dust in the creation story. It rebuilds bones when no signs of life remain, and later we will see it move to raise Lazarus from the dead at Jesus' command. When talking about this breath, this ruach, there's a Catholic missionary named James A. Wallace who says this, The same breath was breathed into Jesus crucified, lifting him up to resurrection life, and touched us when the Spirit came upon us in our baptism. This breath moves through the world, raising people into new life when all the odds are against it. Sometimes it's only in that valley of death that we can truly understand what resurrection is means, and God's resurrecting spirit is moving and alive and well today. Sarah, that middle school girl who had her arm amputated, she started to adapt to her new way of life. She relearned everyday tasks and got back involved with school and learned how to move forward, but Sarah still wanted to swim. And she found out about Blaze Sports. Her parents brought her to a swim practice one day, And there was a long-serving veteran swim coach who met with her and reintroduced her to the water. And as you can imagine, Sarah was tentative at first. This was frightening, but she tried swimming again and found that she could do it. She started to swim laps, and she could swim with a different stroke. Her body swam with a new rhythm, but it was still the same Sarah, the same athlete, the same spirit, the same heart. And her mother had been sitting on the bleacher beside the pool, and she broke down in tears. She turned to my wife, Caroline, and said, I never thought I would see her swim again. Caroline didn't know what to say, so she just put her arm around her and cried with her. And as they were crying, the swim coach approached them, and he got Sarah's mother's attention and said, Have you ever heard of the Paralympics? because I think Sarah could make it all the way. Dry bones alive again. These bones can live. God's breath moves through the world, raising people into new life when all the odds are against it. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for your saving work that began at the beginning of humankind and continues strongly today. 
as we look forward to Holy Week, God, we give you thanks for the climax of that salvation story in the life of Jesus Christ. And we give thanks that your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of resurrection, is still moving among us, still strong at work and bringing new life today. Open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to the movement of that Spirit. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ.